Good morning, family. I've not received as much prayer as uh, I have received this week, <laughs> including my wife. Last night, I was trying to finish my presentation, and she was just saying, I'm praying for you. <laughs> so I think there's enough prayer that has gone on for, for me, and I trust the Lord is going to show that in what we do. Amen. All right, God is good. I actually didn't think it was such a big topic. I thought Pastor Andrew and Carol took the biggest topics of the of the series, which <laughs> so I thought they took the, the the most difficult ones. I was left with the easy one, and so we won't be long. We'll be quick, and then we'll have fellowship at the back. Amen. All right, fine. So we are on this series called "You Ask for It." As Pastor Andrew said earlier on, before he prayed for me that we did like a survey here in the church for people to ask questions that they feel are relevant to them. And so people brought some questions and we summarized all the questions into five topics. The first one was, is hell for you? Pastor Carol did so eloquently uh, speak on that. The first week of our series um, is hell for you. And if you went here, you can get the podcast on our website. How awesome is that? So find that podcast on our website and Pastor Andrew was prolific. He was amazing last week, wasn't he? Come on, wasn't he so amazing? You know, I hardly see him cry from his own message, but he did. <laughs> so get that podcast. Even his tears are on there as well. So you you find on our website. And today I am going to be talking about can Christians be gay? All right, that's the easy one, and then we'll go through next week. We'll talk about who cares about race. And then the last Sunday, we're going to talk about our miracles for today. Amen. All right. Since we've already prayed, I'm going to dive straight into the message. I want to say this, uh, that obviously this topic is quite comprehensive. Can Christians be gay? There are so many questions and answers and opinions and views around this. So I cannot promise that I'll be able to answer every single one of them. All right, can you be gracious enough in that regard that if I'm not able to answer every single question, that there will be a next time? So four answers or four questions that I'm going to answer today. Can Christians begin? Even Kevin is surprised. So four questions that we'll discuss today. One is, is God surprised by sexual immorality? Not just homosexuality, but sexual immorality as a whole. The second question would be, what would Jesus say to gay people, all right? And the third one would be, what if I was born like this? And then the fourth one is going to be, what if I am transgender? All right, what if I'm transgender? Now, <laughs> very, very simple topics. Is God surprised by sexual immorality is the question. You know, I uh, just looking around on Tuesday nights, I try to listen to Criselda on Metro FM, because they talk about, uh, I can use the word sex here. Is that right? If, if, all right. So they talk about sex and HIV and, and stuff. So if you've got a young child here that you wouldn't want to be in the service, please, you can take them to the youth. Or <laughs> all right. So they, they discuss these things on Metro FM on Tuesday. And this particular Tuesday I was listening to, this lady described how many people are infected and living with HIV and how many people were calling in the radio station just talking about the experience of of the abuse, sexual abuse specifically and so forth and so on. 
and it was very painful to hear people's experiences because sometimes you you don't know so much until you hear what people have gone through then you're like wow lord uh there are people out there who have gone through a lot of abuse but so the question is 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 god really surprised i was reading this scripture in genesis 19 and it's a story of sodom and gomorrah uh, it says here verse 4 to 5 before they had gone to bed all the men from every part of the city of sodom both young and old surrounded the house they called to lot and said where are the men who came to you tonight bring them out to us so that we can have intercourse with them. Now, this, this for me sounded very disturbing. This was a city that God loved so much, with the people that God loved so much. And so Lot was living in the city of Sodom. Now, at this time, the, he had visitors who happened to be angels who had come to visit him. When the people of the city saw the visitors, they came to him at night. Now, what disturbed me even more, it says both young and old, came to him calling out the men, the two men that had visited him, so that they can engage in sexual relations with them. Now, if you understand the ancient, which still applies today, that, that age in the society mattered. All right, that, that old men and young men cannot be publicly engaging in sexual relations. And but here, the practice in the city was for people to even engage publicly in sexual relations. And so they're calling out the people that had come to visit Lot. And they're saying, we want to engage with these people in public, including the young and the old people. Now, this picture for me presents a lot of things. One is that, obviously, there was going to be sexual abuse because there were only two men. And then we had men, old and young, who were calling out to these men. Now, you can imagine the kind of society that this society was. The kind of immorality that existed in that time. So, God has seen some things. And I don't think God is surprised. I think God has experienced some things. And, and, and the heart of God was so broken. Such that the city had to be destroyed. Not so much because God hated the people. But so much because God loved the people so much. That he couldn't allow them to continue living the way they were living. And sometimes when we see the destruction of these two cities. Sodom and Gomorrah. We think God is so wicked. But God is so loving. That he doesn't want people to continue living in a certain way. Amen. And so God is not surprised. Here's our question. What would Jesus say to gay people? Now, if you know these two awesome people, uh, <laughs> and, and if you don't, it's fine. I'll explain in a moment who they are. You know, if you don't know who, shame, <laughs> my wife says. <laughs> See, the reason why I've got these people up here is not to, to embarrass them or to degrade them. It's because these people, I believe, are influential in our country in their own rights. They are heroes of our boys and heroes of our girls. And I wondered what Jesus would say to them. All right, this, this is Somizi, uh, and that's uh, Robert Whitehead. Somizi is an amazing dancer. He, he is amazing. He is very, very talented. 
And, and Robert Whitehead is an actor in Isidingo. If you watch local soapies, you would know him. But I wondered, what would Jesus say? You know, there were times where I would, I would, I would watch something. You know, I, I mean, I love this guy's talent. But I wondered, what would Jesus say? And this is what I think Jesus is going to say to these guys. Jesus is going to start with Somesia and say, man, you are amazing. Man, you are creative. I am a creative God, and I enjoy seeing creativity being displayed. God is going to probably sit in one of his performances and just enjoy seeing him dance. In fact, we went with Terence and Ashi and some other friends to God Reef City to watch a show of his friend, and he was performing as well, dancing. I mean, it was amazing. You cannot deny the fact that this guy's talented. And if we believe talent is from God, then God gave him this talent. And so Jesus would compliment him on his amazing talent. Jesus is going to talk about his creativity. And Jesus is going to go to Robert Whitehead and talk about how awesome an actor he is. I mean, if you watch, if you watch Isidingo, I mean, he is one of the pillars of that soapy. I mean, he, he creates drama. He, he is amazing at that. And he's won multiple awards for his role at Isidingo. And I don't think Jesus would dislike that. I think Jesus would, the church might dislike it. And the people might dislike it. But I think Jesus is going to look at that and say, man, this is amazing talent. I am a creative God and I enjoy seeing you guys acting and being creative. I enjoy and you are awesome. But then they would pose Jesus this question. But Jesus, you see, you've talked about our creativity and how amazing. What about our sexuality, Jesus? What do you say? <laughs> it's like, oh, Jesus, were well, you avoiding the question? And, and I think this is what Jesus would say. Jesus would say, I created sexual intimacy. Jesus is going to say, my father is the inventor of sexual intimacy. You guys have no idea what God created, he would say to them. God is not a party pooper who wants to destroy your fun. God is the one who created this thing, he's going to tell them. That God is at the, he, he is the originator of sexual intimacy. And Jesus would begin to explain to them, say, you, say, you are a creative guy. It's like when you create something, you create a piece of work. Don't you want people to use it for the intention that it was created for? And then they would say, obviously, Jesus, yeah, well, if I create something, then probably people have to use it for the purpose that I created it for. And so Jesus is going to say to them, see, I created this thing. I created sexual intimacy. And I created a manual to help you and aid you in the best use of this thing that I created. And this is what Jesus would give them. Now, if you're writing or you're listening on our website, as we have started talking, uh, you can read Leviticus 18, 22, Leviticus 20, 13, Romans 1, 24 to 27. And these are all awesome scriptures speaking to the topic of homosexuality. But I want to focus on this particular one. This is Paul, and I believe Jesus would give them this that Paul wrote. Paul said, don't you realize that those who do wrong will not inherit the kingdom of God? 
Don't fool yourselves. Those who indulge in sexual sin or who worship idols or commit adultery or are male prostitutes or practice homosexuality or are thieves or greedy people or drunkards or are abusive or cheat people, none of these will inherit the kingdom of God. Now, Paul is talking to the church that he planted in Corinth. Now, if you understand the context of Corinth was that they had a temple in Corinth, more like they had in Ephesians, uh, the temple of Aphrodite, which was uh, almost a temple of prostitution. They had about a thousand prostitutes there, both male and female. And for you to say, I'm going to worship, you meant you are going to that temple and engage in sexual relations with prostitutes at the temple. Now, Paul understands very well this culture. He understands the society and the people to which he's speaking. And yet he says, he doesn't start with homosexuality. He starts with people who do wrong. Then he goes to people who indulge in sexual sin. And then he goes to people who worship idols. And then he goes to people who commit adultery. And then he goes to male prostitutes. If this verse was given to a religious person, they will start it the other way around. They will start those who practice homosexuality. Amen. Now here, here's my postulation. Is that Paul puts everything together for the man who commits or the woman who commits adultery, the man or the woman who practices homosexuality in the same category. That it's not more abominable for one to be a homosexual than for one to be an adulterer. There is no distinction, he says, according to Paul, between the one who is greedy and the one who is a homosexual. And so Jesus is explaining to them. He says, hey, listen to me. What you're doing is not what I intended sex to be. But, but listen, you are not an abomination just because you're struggling with this. The same as people who practice adultery and people who are greedy, they are all in this thing. And that's what Jesus would say to them. Here, here is my problem. All of us in this place, if we followed every single thought that has crossed our minds, maybe none of us would be here. Because all of us in one area or the other struggle with something. You struggle with lying, but maybe you don't lie, but it's a struggle. You have to hold yourself back from lying. <laughs> but all of us struggle in one area or the other. But the homosexuals have become like this taboo thing. Like, like something that, that is extraordinary. That is, that's the sin against the Holy Spirit, <laughs> that, that, and so forth and so on. But that shouldn't be the case. I think we as the church should approach that differently, and I'll explain that toward the end of the message. But on the other hand, if you are struggling or practicing homosexuality, I don't want you to come and say, what well, I want the church to endorse my lifestyle. Because that is equally wrong. 
The Bible is very categoric with regards to homosexuality being a sin. And so you seeking for endorsement from, from the church and for us to change scripture to suit your lifestyle, that is wrong. Amen. So in terms of the church, we should approach it with kindness, with love and care. Just like when somebody's struggling with pornography, you wouldn't chase them out of the church. You would get them in a group where they become accountable to someone so that they can overcome. So that's what Jesus would say to them. Jesus would say, well, don't practice this thing because I created sexual intimacy to happen within the context of marriage between a natural man and a natural woman. That's important. Between a natural man and a natural woman. And so, then Somizi or Robert would say, well, Jesus, what if I was born like this? How many of us have heard that line, what if I was born like this? <laughs> what if I was born like this? Now, before I give us scientific answers, let me, let me say this. All of us in this place have a sad story, or most of us, of our upbringing, of the way we grew up, of the opportunities we didn't have, or the opportunities we had, the mistakes we made. All of us in this place have a sad story somewhere. If we allow that one event to define our entire lives, don't you think that is going to be a tragedy? And I think nobody should use an excuse for one event and allow that event to define the rest of their lives. You can overcome. Amen. And so, what if I was born like this? Jesus will say to them, listen, a wonderful scripture Pastor Andrew gave last week. Every good gift comes from God. That, that God did not give you a gift that is not good. Every good gift is from God. See, I can give you, which I'm going to do, the answers to this. But have you been in a situation where even if you got the answers, they won't make a difference? Because answers don't necessarily give you the ability to overcome. It's the grace of God that gives you the ability to overcome. I can give you all the answers as they are, but still you struggle with the same thing again and again. And so what you need more than anything is the grace of God. Yes, the answers are coming, but the grace is what you need to overcome. And so what if I was born like this? I uh, did some research, as you know. Um, I, I have to be on point. <laughs> I've had so many people praying for me. Uh, my friends on Facebook are also praying for me. Uh, I had a friend of mine who called me, like, what are you going to say? I said, well, this is what I'm going to say. So there was, um, there was a research that was done. Uh, there's a doctor called Richard uh, Lewontin. Okay? He is a, he's an American evolutionary biologist, genesis, geneticist. Sorry, He's an academic and social commentator. This is what he said. He said, the Gay and Lesbian Medical Association recommends uh, that people should not use the argument that homosexuality is biological 
because there is simply not enough evidence. Okay, doctors Neil and Briar Whitehead state, no genetically human behavior has yet been found. This is what they said. Most researchers and scientists believe that there is no single cause or that fact or that factors that may be different, sorry, and that the factors may be different for different people. Now, here is the crux of the research. Eight major studies of more than 10,000 set of identical twins during the last two decades all arrived at the same conclusions. Gays were not born like that. This is what the research said. At best, genetics is a minor factor, says Dr. Neil Whitehead. Uh, he has a PhD in biochemistry and statistics. Identical twins have the same genes or DNA, and they are nurtured in equal prenatal conditions. Therefore, homosexuality is caused if the, if general sorry, beg your pardon. If homosexuality is caused by genetics or prenatal conditions, one twin, if one twin is gay, the co-twin should also be gay. If both twins are not gay, then homosexuality cannot be genetically dictated. The predominant things that create homosexuality in one identical twin and not in the other have to be post-birth factors. Homosexuality is caused by non-shared factors, things that happen to one twin but not the other, or a personal response to an event or by one of the twins and not the other. And so these are doctors that have done so many studies and they have researched and all have come to the conclusion that people are not born gay. So it's not a genetic problem. So what's the problem? Gender Pahonis identified about eight things, which I only chose three for the purpose of our message this morning. The first one is, they said the people that they dealt with that were homosexuals had eight predisposing factors that they noticed. One was they came from a very dysfunctional family background. Very dysfunctional family background. A family where for men, they were made to feel insecure, insufficient, never matching up to the ideal picture of a man and always feeling inferior. For the woman, the same applies. And they said people who came from such backgrounds we are more prone to be homosexuals. Not all of them, but most of the people they dealt with came from such background. The second one was sexual conditioning. Now, sexual conditioning, they did studies with people in prisons and people in boarding schools. They said there are no more men and no more women when they're in prison. They turn, they become homosexuals. When they come out of prison, they get back to normal. And so they, the study concluded that men and women respond to different stimuli. In other words, when you are surrounded only by women and you get to just see all the time just women. When I mean just women, I'm saying you're seeing them 
You get what I'm saying? I, I don't know what the appropriate word is, but you get what I'm saying? It's hard to speak in church sometimes, isn't it? But, but you get the picture. That over time, your sexual senses become heightened and you begin to respond positively to that as a stimulus. And so as a man surrounded by men in the prison, you begin to be stimulated sexually. As a woman or a child, boy or girl at boarding school, always seeing this, you begin to respond appropriately to that stimulus. And they realize that people who have come from such backgrounds are more prone to become homosexual. And the third conclusion was people who have been sexually abused are people who, at, against their own will, they were raped or sexually abused growing up, are more prone to become homosexual. And when I looked at the eight conclusions, in my heart, I was like, Jesus can heal this. Jesus can heal this. And there's hope. But I want to answer the fourth question, and then I'll conclude. Then Sumezi and Robert White has said to Jesus, well, that's for homosexual people. What about me? What if I'm a transgender? What if I, I feel like physically I'm a man who is caught up in a woman's, a woman caught up in a man's body? What if I'm transgender? Let me say this again before I give us the, the answers. Sometimes when you're struggling with something and people come with scientific explanation, they, they don't always help because you feel like people don't actually understand you. You feel like you're all alone by yourself because it's so hard for others to understand because they're not you. You keep telling people, man, I don't want to be like this, but I find myself to be like this. It's not like you lack the will to change. It's just that it's too hard to change. It's, it's more like people who, who are addicted to something. They know their addiction is killing their family. They, they know it's wrong, but they just don't have the power to overcome it. So what if I'm transgender without undermining your sexual orientation or your family's sexual orientation, a person you know, a friend you care for? Here is my response to that. I will say to them again, every good gift comes from God. A friend of mine called me last night to pray with me again. <laughs> and he said to me, honestly, he said to me, where God cannot heal, he will sustain. If you are struggling with something that maybe it's a deformity or maybe it's something that has not been healed yet, there's enough grace from God to sustain you. If, if you have not received victory in that area, there's grace. In fact, the Bible says that there's no temptation that has seized you that is not common to men. And if any temptation that seizes you, that, 
goes beyond your ability to overcome, Jesus says, there is always going to be an exit for you. There is always going to be enough grace to sustain you. There's a wonderful story that I think will speak to everything else. Jesus, at night, this man comes to him called Nicodemus. And this man was an old man. He was the leader of the Jewish people, one of the leaders of the Jewish people. He comes to Jesus at night and says, Jesus, we all know that you, you're the Messiah, you're the Son of God. We know that you're a teacher. What can I do to get into the kingdom of God? And Jesus looks at him and says, you must be born again. I mean, you could see this man, he's an old man. He was puzzled and surprised and asked Jesus, Jesus, what do you mean? Can't you see that I'm an old man? How can I go back in my mother's womb and be born again? Jesus used the same word that is used for a mother conceiving a child in the womb and give them or give birth to them. And he says to him, he says, you must be born again. The same way that you were born naturally is the same way that you have to be born in the kingdom. What am I saying? I'm saying if you are born like this, there's an opportunity to be born again. There's, there's an opportunity to receive a new birth. And the Bible says in 1 Peter that we are born again not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible seed. In other words, the new birth has got no defect. The new birth is a birth that is born in the mind of God and given birth to in his own kingdom. And Jesus would say to these guys and say, well, here is an opportunity for you to never again use your biological excuses and receive a new birth and be born again. And that's my challenge to us. Maybe everything else does not answer your questions. But you can receive a new birth. And in that birth, there's newness of life. The Bible says that those who are in Christ are new people. Therefore, the old things have gone and behold, the new things have come. And so when we receive this new birth, we become new people. I'm going to have a testimony. Somebody's going to share a testimony of victory in this area. They struggled in this area. They'll share the, the, the testimony. Then I'm going to come up and conclude. I'm going to call Jack. He's going to come up and just share what God has done in his own life. And then I'm going to come up and conclude. Can we give him a hand as he comes up? Good morning, church. Um, I stand here today to give you the answer what God has given me. The deliverance that God has taken me through. I've been bound in that kind of lifestyle for all my life. I was like a bird that was trapped in a cage for many, many, many years. But Jesus came and he set me free. Um, the word of God says, do not be, do not be deceived. 
God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please the flesh, from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to praise the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. And God has done that in my life. He has set me free. Um, I was very well known in Durban, where I'm coming from. Um, I used to be a drag artist, doing cabaret shows, all those kind of things. And um, I won the biggest drag competition in South Africa in 2000. I became the Millennium Queen. And um, I wish I could show you the photos of what I used to look like, what I used to do. But God has done such a miracle in my life. He has set me free. He has delivered me. Um, I used to be on ZTV. I used to be on ETV. Um, I used to be in magazines. Very, very well known. And that's what the devil does. He takes you and puts you on a pedestal. So that people can see, oh, look at this one. My stage name used to be Jackie McQueen. But praise God, here I am standing before you as Jack. Created in the image of God. Um, with my sexual life. Um, Adult world used to become my church. Every Sunday I would go to adult world when I was off. Instead of going to church, the Holy Spirit was speaking to me, telling me to go to church. But what did I decide? I'd rather go to adult world and see with how many men I could have intercourse and sex with. And through that, God gave me over into that destruction. On the 5th of October, 2012, I was diagnosed with full-blown AIDS with a CD4 count of 46. I was very, very ill. I remember my sister found me that morning and she asked me, oh, but what is your CD4 count? I said to her, Oh, it's fine. I'm 46. She said to me, Oh, but you are very, very sick. You are busy dying. You've got full-blown AIDS. And I was thought always if your CD4 count is higher, that is when you are uh, sick. But when it's low, you are okay. I stand with you. I stand before you today with my medical report. God has healed me. He has set me free. I stand with a medical report in my hand where it says HIV not detected. With a CD4 count of 561. I also have a book that was given to me by my mother. 
where it says that um, it gives you the different um, CD4 counts. Um, normal is 500 plus. HIV positive, 350. HIV positive with possible um, prosthetic infections is also 350 and below. Diagnosed with AIDS is 200. Very ill at the end stage of the disease, 50 and below. When I was diagnosed, I was 46. They sent me home. They said to me, rather go home and die at your family. As I was lying in the hospital that morning, after I was diagnosed, there was a man next to me who had a hand operation. And his wife came to me and she saw how I was crying uncontrollably. She said to me, what is wrong? I told her I've been diagnosed with full-blown AIDS. I was lying with my Bible on my chest. She said to me, do you mind if I take your Bible and read your scripture? I said, please do. And I want to share with you the scripture that she shared with me that day. It's Isaiah 41 verse 9 and 10. I took you from the ends of the earth, for it is from the farthest corners I have called you. I said, you are my servant. I have chosen you and have not rejected you. So do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. That gave me such an encouragement. And she prayed with me afterwards. And after she prayed with me, I was lying there on my bed. And I was speaking to the Lord. And I said to the Lord, Lord, this battle is not mine. This is our battle. We are going to fight this battle until there is no more strength left in me. Until there is no more power left in me. But we're going to get through this. 2013, 2014 was a difficult time. I was in and out of hospital. Um, getting lung diseases. Getting very sick. Whereby I think it's finished. It's, I'm not going to make it anymore. But I kept my eyes on Jesus. I went for Victory Weekend this year. Those of you that haven't been for Victory Weekend, you've got an appointment with God. You have to go. And when my victory came was when Pastor Carol was talking about Jesus hanging on the cross and what he has been through and what he has done for us. I stood, sat down there and I looked up and I saw Jesus literally looking at me hanging from the cross with tears in his eyes, with so much of love. And when he said, it is finished, it was finished. God had set me free and he has delivered me. Those of you that are struggling with something in your life, don't take your eyes off Jesus. You know what he can do. If he can do it for me, he can do it for you. Thank you. Bless you. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks very much, buddy.
please let's stay standing. Please let's stay standing. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jack, for sharing so vulnerably. Thank you. Family, I think love is very attractive. When you love someone, they become attracted to you. And here's my conclusion. When we come across people who are struggling with homosexuality, we should present the Jesus that loves them. Not the Jesus that hates them. Because it is the love of Jesus that will draw them to Him. But that love does not mean we condone their lifestyle. Because the Bible says that love does not rejoice with evil. But love is kind and love is patient. And so even as we display our love, our love is not a love that compromises. It is a love that shows them the loving Father so that they can come to the Father. The Bible says that God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of love, of power, and of a sound mind. The kind of love we have is coupled with power and wisdom. It is not a love that is blind, that just love them. No, it is a love that has discernment. It is a wise love that draws them to the Father. But I want to launch this invitation. If you're here, can we please all have our eyes closed? If you're here, and you know that in your heart, you have not given your life to Jesus. Maybe you're here, and you know that this is a struggle for you, homosexuality. That you don't know what it is that you just have this attraction to people that are of the same sex as you. This is not a time to feel embarrassed and I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. But this is a community of believers and there is no way that you can overcome that by yourself. I'm going to ask you now to just pray this prayer and at the end of the service, please don't rush to go and come and see one of our leaders. It is in these accountable relationships that you can overcome that and you cannot overcome that by yourself or by running away or by hiding. In fact, what you realize is that the moment you begin to share your own challenges, the person that will meet with you has their own challenges that they would want accountability for. Let's pray this prayer together. Lord Jesus, I thank you today for dying on the cross for me. I invite you today in my life. Come and save me. Make me your son or daughter. And if you pray that prayer, and this is your very first time to pray that prayer, I'm also going to invite you to come at the end of the service and just see one of our leaders that will be here in the front and we'll be able to help you and give you tools to walk in this awesome and new life with Jesus. I'm going to pray, Father, in the name of Jesus, Lord, I thank you for the victory that you have given us because of the cross. 
Lord, thank you that in all these things we are more than conquerors. Lord, that in every situation that we encounter or we have encountered, we will always choose to be triumphant and never victims. And Lord, we also know that you have given us the ability to choose. And that that is a God-given right for us to choose the course of our own lives. And you invite us to choose you. So Father, thank you for grace and power. We bless you today. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, family. Let's give the Lord a round of applause. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you.